water offered, of which we are all invited to partake. It's an encounter around water where, once again, just like our Ethiopian eunuch last Sunday, one experiences the living water and goes on their way rejoicing. Um, again, it's a pretty lengthy passage, so uh, David and Haven are going to help me out. I told David he had to be Jesus, and he said no. <laughs> but then I just told him he had to do it anyway. Uh, but as we prepare to hear God's word this day, let us pray. Living God, through the reading of the scriptures and by the power of your spirit, may we hear for ourselves the good news and believe because of your word that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Amen. So here now from John 4. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well? And with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband. You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. I am he, 
the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and they were on their way. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. One reason I love this passage so much is because it is um, a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. And I just, I just love the people stories of Scripture. This particular Scripture passage is the longest one-on-one conversation in Scripture. I love how it compares and contrasts with the story before in John 3, the visit of Nicodemus coming to Jesus in the night. Um, We don't really have time to delve into that today, but again, I invite you this week, pull out your Bible, sit down, read through John 3 and John 4. They're really meant to be read together. Um, And then there's this, another reason I love this passage. As theologian Anna Carter Florence says, this story may show us the most about who Jesus is. So let's set the scene. Jesus, a Jewish man of Galilee, is traveling south and goes through Samaria. So Samaria Samaria is kind of sandwiched between two Jewish areas. You've got Galilee to the north and Judea to the south. And Jews moving between the two areas often bypassed Samaria because these two groups, Jews and Samaritans, well, they just didn't play nice. But Jesus takes the shortcut and walks through Samaria. He chooses to go through what was considered to be a place avoided. And he stops. He waits alone by a well while his disciples buy food in a nearby village. And a person approaches with labels galore of her despised otherness. The two most obvious, she's a woman, And she's a Samaritan woman. Now, Jewish rabbis of that day um, would have said Samaritan women were from the cradle perpetually unclean. Um, The Jewish social norms of that day were clear. You must look the other way, avoid her, act as though you don't see her. And Jesus, Jesus shatters all of this with four simple words. Give me a drink. Jesus chooses to take a path others purposely and have been taught to avoid where he engages in one of the longest one-on-one conversations in Scripture with one who is the historical and cultural dreaded other. And at the heart of this conversation is water. The whole thing begins with Jesus saying, 
give me a drink. How often we read this and we kind of miss the power of that water. Two people meet face to face, two people whose lives and identities are defined by deep history, by conflict, by religion, by clear and distinct cultural norms and gender boundaries. Two people at a well talking about water. Water, the one element of life all humans need, regardless of what label we carry or what birthplace defines us. When it comes to water, we are all equals in our need of it. And Jesus offers himself as the living water provided for all. You know, it isn't just us that need water, not just us as humans. Um, I've shared before that um, I have no green thumb. I can't keep plants alive, and most of the time it has to do with whether or not I have watered them too little or too much. We just returned from a little over a week for our family vacation, and um, I didn't even think about the plants. But the plants on my porch, they were in pretty bad shape. You could tell they were thirsty, um, leaves droopy and shriveled. Um, luckily, we weren't gone too long because as soon as I watered them, voila, the leaves bounced back. Water nourished and refreshed them. Water gave them new life. One reason I love Psalm 104 and wanted to include it today is because of the cosmic picture it gives. Psalm 104 is a reminder that it isn't just about me. It isn't just about us. We believe in a God who created all that is, including each one of us. Psalm 104, as one theologian said, is an ode to creation, celebrating the diversity of nature that goes on around us night and day. There's an awe, there's a wonder in this psalm that is unmatched in scripture. God takes center stage with an active role within creation as provider, as one who continually renews creation. God's breath taken and sent forth generates a new life, and renewal. God is sustainer, pouring water over the dry, shriveled places in our world, in our lives, in our souls. God sustains and holds all things together. You know, a lot of the early Christian symbols had to do with water. Um, the Christian fish, which is part of our own logo here at Parkway Hills. And if you, you know, were growing up in the 90s like I was, it really had this uh, resurgence and people had it on their cars. I had one on my little two-door two Toyota Tacoma. You could find it on lots of cars. The fish reminds us of the call Jesus places on our lives. But it also reminds us as disciples of our call to fish for people. Its name is not the Jesus fish, um, that's what we call it, uh, but it's ichthus, an acrostic that stood for Jesus Christ, God, Son, Savior. We can go forth 
as disciples of Jesus Christ, teaching and baptizing because Jesus Christ, God, Son, Savior, first calls us, meets us as he met that woman at the well, and takes us seriously as a person of worth and a potential follower. And then there was a shell. We've had some up here throughout the whole series. It has a somewhat lengthy history connected to the Apostle James, but it came to represent a journey. We are pilgrims on a journey of faith seeking living water. And the shell serves as a reminder of Christ, the living water present in our midst as we seek. When Christians used to take pilgrimages, they would pick up shells and carry them with them as a sign that they had been on this pilgrimage. In some places, in churches, when they do baptisms, they use shells to dip out the water and to pour the baptismal water over um, the head of the one being baptized. And another was an anchor, reminding us of Christ. Coming from Hebrews 6, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. The hope we have in Christ. These symbols reminded early Christians that in Christ we meet God, and through Christ we are given living water to quench our thirsty souls, to sustain us along the journey of discipleship. I have my own symbol. It's really jewelry, and I'll be honest, I forgot I even had it. Um, I even had to text Sean this morning to tell him to bring it to me because I forgot it. But I bought it when I went to a monastery in Tizay, France, and it's one of the brothers there, their artwork representing the living water found in John 4. Um, I purchased it over 10 years ago now because it reminded me of this story in John 4 that I love. It reminds me of Jesus. It causes me to reflect on how is Jesus living water for me in my life. In Jesus, I daily receive a reminder that the holy was and is among us. As Psalm 104 says, you are ever present to us. The stories of these face-to-face encounters of Jesus with individuals where Jesus shatters all we think we know about life and love and one another, these accounts give me hope that there doesn't just exist a better way, that that better way was here. It was lived by Jesus. And it has been and is being carried on by his followers through the power of the Holy Spirit. That way offers life, living water. You see, our God doesn't desire that any human being should shrivel up and die from a thirsty soul, nor does our God desire for this planet, uh, this gift we call home, um, that God desires for it to be parched and decaying. Our God longs to make us new, to quench the deepest needs and desires of each one of us with living water. So our God sent Jesus that we may have this story of a woman, a Samaritan, 
a despised other who meets Jesus, the living water, and is so touched that she leaves behind her water jar, carries on her way rejoicing, and with excitement invites others to experience Jesus, the Messiah. The question for us is how are we experiencing Jesus as living water? How are we making the effort to stay hydrated? In what ways are we coming to the well to meet Jesus and simply receive? It doesn't just happen. Like all things, um, we have to do our part. We're about to enter into a new academic year, and I hope you'll pray and discern over how you will find those watering places for your own soul um, in this place, uh, in small groups, um, in other ways. But think back over this past month, all that the water has taught us. We began this whole series by saying our faith story can be told using water. In the beginning, Genesis opens, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Put yourself there, standing at the edge, looking out over an unexplored blanket of deep blue that seems to never end. It's mysterious, exciting, a little dangerous. We joined Peter, stepping out of the boat onto the water. Um, he sinks, challenging all of us to let go of our fears and questions, holding us back, keeping us in the boat. Questions like, is my faith strong enough? Do I really believe or believe enough? Can I even do this? fear of failing in our fears in the midst of our questions we are to step out of the boat to follow Jesus onto the water to walk where no one has walked before to trust that even if it doesn't go right even if we fail Jesus is there the holy is among us and then last Sunday Philip led by the Spirit down an unfamiliar road, a wilderness road that is, as Raven Haven said, a foreign, wild, a little unruly, but a road that leads to the waters of baptism. Waters that bring us together. Waters where one who had been defined as other was welcomed, fully embraced by the kingdom of God, proclaimed as a child of God. And then today, the Gospel of John again brings us to the water where we meet Jesus, the living water who shatters the boxes we too easily place ourselves and others in, who meets us in the very messiness of our lives, and who sees us as a person of worth and a potential follower. Our clumsy steps into the waters of discipleship, a lifelong journey of following and learning, they begin with water 
in baptism. We come to this fount as one standing at the edge of the water, looking out over a never-ending blanket of blue full of mystery and discovery. As we've said over and over again this month, discipleship is mystery. We never really know what we say yes to when we say yes to Jesus. Discipleship is exciting. We are called into the great work of bringing God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. The work of redemption and reconciliation, of healing that which is broken, of new life. Discipleship is dangerous and scary. As disciples of Jesus Christ, may we continually come to the waters. May we do the work to stay hydrated, drinking from the fount that will never run dry. I don't know about you, um, but I can't continue this call on my life without anchoring myself in the radical love and grace of Jesus. I can't continue this without a community of faith to remind me um, I'm not crazy for believing in this story, for believing that the way things are is not the way things have to be, for trusting in God, the one who in and through Christ holds all things together. May we come to the water and receive. May it be so. Amen.